Louise Cooney's Open Book, a Go Loud original podcast. You are very welcome back to season two of Open Book presented by Go Loud. I'm Louise Cooney and I'm so delighted to be back. This season on Open Book, we're all about honest chats, life lessons and what success really looks like. Today, I'm so delighted to be joined by one of Ireland's most inspirational health and wellness speakers, the creator of The Good Glow, mother and now author of a new book, Glow, Five Steps to Create the Life You Dream About. Georgie Crawford, you are so welcome to the Open Book Podcast. Georgie, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. It's such an honour. I love your Good Glow podcast. I think you're an amazing interviewer. But it's so exciting to have you here and to be able to ask you the questions to have you on the other side of the table. Oh, thank you so much, Louise. I'm thrilled to be here. You've been such a huge supporter of me over the last five years. And I hope you know how much I appreciate it. Of course. I'm so excited to have you here. And before we get into anything about the book, I just have to congratulate you on your amazing news that you're pregnant. Yes, we are in absolute shock. We can't believe it. And we are just so grateful like it doesn't feel real so I was nervous to put it out there yeah of course because I imagine it's so different to your first pregnancy when you you carried Pia yes and now you have to kind of get your head around somebody else doing that and will you see your surrogate how does that work do you want to tell us a little bit about the journey up to now and how you're managing I suppose throughout the pregnancy yeah so uh, we were supposed to do an embryo transfer in Ukraine Mm -hmm. the week the war broke out and it didn't go ahead and I kind of thought it might be temporary you know I didn't think well I think that's what, what we all thought yeah. Isn't it? yeah it was kind of hard so hard to believe and immediately our thoughts were with everyone in Ukraine mm. and that was our only concern was f- for them and what was happening mm-hmm. in that country and not about our journey mm-hmm. so it took a very long time to process that and come to terms with maybe the fact that the Ukraine journey wasn't going to happen. And I think a lot of people in my family came to that realisation before I did. So we were trying to make a decision on what to do next. And I remember I was sitting at my kitchen table and I just said to Jamie, I can't make a decision right now. We need to do nothing yeah. for a while. Yeah. And that week I had a podcast booked in with Oprah's life coach, Martha Beck. Which I was actually listening to. Were you? Morning. Yeah, it's amazing. And I asked her, you know, about if something happens and how you can kind of get to the next step. And yeah. she said, you know, when you're in the grief process, you can't make decisions and you have to give yourself time. Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of, I was like, well, if Oprah's life coach is saying this to me, it must be true. Yeah. So I, we just did nothing for such a long time. And then when we felt ready, we picked it back up again. And thankfully now we're pregnant and getting ready to welcome the second baby. Were all of your embryos in Ukraine when that happened? No, I had embryos in Dublin. Okay, okay. So that must have been like a sense of relief then for you. It absolutely was because there's people with one embryo in Ukraine. So I knew we were so lucky to Mm -hmm. have so many because for so many people they don't. But... For me, I felt really connected to that embryo that we were supposed to transfer that week. So I felt almost like I had to say goodbye to that baby for such a long time because I just thought that we'd use our Dublin embryos Mm -hmm. going forward. Mm -hmm. But with a lot of help from a lot of people internationally, you know, Ukraine and Slovakia, IVF couriers, our solicitor, we 
got our embryos to our new country and they're the same embryos. It's the same embryos. So that has been a miracle. Yeah. The timing of it all must be so mind boggling. Like, have you found it hard, the wait? You know, because that that been over a year now. Mm. We started the process in September 2020 during lockdown. I had actually I speak about Rosanna in my book because I bumped into Rosanna Davison one day Mm -hmm. and she told me her story and it really felt like she had kind of paved the way for so many women, Mm -hmm. myself included. So we decided to go on the journey. I naively thought I'd have a baby in my arms within a year. Mm -hmm. So it has taken a long time and the final step in my book is about staying open and trusting the process. And that has been one of the hardest things that I've had to do on my own journey. And for so many people, it's so hard to trust when you're in those rock bottom Mm, moments. mm -hmm. But I made a decision very early in my diagnosis to trust the journey because that's the only way I could face the day. That's the only way I could get out of bed. Yeah. Is if I, I believed that... It was bringing me somewhere. And although I was in the deepest, darkest place and I couldn't see it Mm. at the time, I trusted that someday I would. Mm -hmm. So that's why I suppose trusting the universe has become such a huge part of my life. Yeah, that's going to speak to a lot of women, I imagine, who struggle with fertility. And we've had Rosanna on here before and the patience that you need and the resilience to keep going and to not Mm. give up. And it's so nice to see when it works out, you know. Yeah. And also to know that you're not a failure if you stop. Yeah. If you, I get messages from women all the time who say they've tried to have a second or third baby for years and they set themselves free by saying, okay, I'm I'm done trying. Mm -hmm. So I think we all have so many different journeys and different ways. And by telling our stories, we can support each other in whatever path we choose. Mm -hmm. And how are you feeling now with the news? Beyond. Yeah. Just beyond. Like words will never describe how grateful I am. And it's due this summer. Which is soon, isn't it? Yeah, well, end of September, so after the summer. So, yeah, that's the thing I think about surrogacy and not carrying your own baby is you just, I think at the start of the journey, like I'd kind of forget for a while, you know, hours could pass that I don't think about it. Mm. And then I remember, but I think as the time has gone on, it feels more like the baby is within me now rather than, because the baby is in a different country on the other side of the world, but I feel the baby within yeah. yeah. And do you have contact with your surrogate? No. No. So our main priority is to protect our surrogate mother. We don't want her to feel stressed or yeah. pressured or under pressure. So in Europe, from what we've experienced is that they let the surrogate mother grow your baby mm-hmm. in their own space without any pressure in the first trimester, because I suppose the focus is to get to 12 weeks Mm -hmm. and then they make the introductions afterwards. Now we have had contact with her through other people and we send her messages and she sends us back messages. I'm sure, how do you say this, but there's a lot of people in the world who might put pressure on on their surrogate mothers and for me, it's just hugely important for me to just let her do her thing in her own space, you know. I have to give over control a little bit. Yeah. And I want her to know that I trust her Mm -hmm. and I want her to trust me. Yeah, that makes sense. How's Pia feeling about it? Pia, she's so excited. At times. And then the little kind of, I suppose, the little worry that she has to share us creeps in. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. And you've had so much happen since Pia has 
been born. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey from the start? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with cancer when Pia was seven months old. Breast cancer, totally shocking. You know, no Mm. breast cancer in my family. I wasn't breast aware. I didn't check my breasts. I didn't think I needed to. I was 32. Mm. I was really good at getting smear tests, but I never even, it never occurred to me to check my breasts. I was diagnosed with breast cancer and then went on a journey for a year with chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and eventually went back to work then a year later. But while I was sitting at my desk, actually in this building, I decided that I wanted to create a platform where women could hear from other women and share their stories to help inspire and empower each other. Because I just felt like when I hear from women on TV and radio, they were given this like 12 minute slot. Mm. I was like, I want more of the story. Mm-hmm. I want the full story. Yeah. And at that time, it was you know, the end of 2018, early 2019, I was like, God, like, there's nowhere in Ireland where women get the opportunity to tell their stories in full. So that's how the Good Glow was born. And I know you posted on social media to kind of tell your wider friend circle that you were going through cancer, Mm. you know, how you're feeling and everything. And that's kind of where your journey started with sharing, really, wasn't it? Yeah. So when I was diagnosed, I told obviously my close friends and my family and we were kind of waiting to see if my cancer had spread before we told the wider circle because Mm. we were unsure about what was happening. And people ask so many questions as well, don't they? Yeah. So Jamie was like, let's just kind of wait and see, which was great advice. So when I found out that my cancer hadn't spread, Mm. I was like, maybe I could just hide this for a year and I could just say I'm on maternity leave and I took extended maternity leave and just hide for a year. But then I thought about all my colleagues and my friends and people who I'd been to school with and people I knew in the industry that could be walking around with a sign of or a symptom of breast Mm -hmm. cancer and Mm -hmm. be unaware because Mm -hmm. like me, you don't think it's going to happen to you at a young age. So I felt this weird responsibility to tell people. Mm -hmm. And because my cancer hadn't spread, I felt like I had the energy to kind of do that. And that's not for everybody. Some people get cancer and they don't share their story and that's fine. But for me, I was like, maybe I have this kind of semi-platform for a reason. Maybe I'm a messenger Mm. to warn people. So that's what I decided to do. And honestly, I've never looked back since that post on Instagram that day. It's like you were being drawn to share that story and share with other women. Yes. Did you find you got a big response even at that stage with your semi-platform if you want yeah. to call it that. I, my friend Susan Keogh who worked in Today FM at the time she was covering for Matt Cooper that week mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest radio shows in Ireland and she said like would you come on in the most beautiful way like we had a conversation on the phone mm-hmm. for three hours and I was like yeah I think I would but I was driving into town it was like November so it was pitch dark it was like about four o'clock or something mm-hmm. and the rain was pelting off the car windows and I was on my own I was on Camden Street and she did a link and she said coming up this hour I speak to Georgie Crawford who's been diagnosed with cancer and I was like that was the first time I heard that Mm. you know somebody saying it like that I was like I can't believe this is my life so I went in and I did the interview and I got started getting feedback from that interview. Like one woman was like, I was out for a run that day and I had to stop and sit on a wall because my heartbeat 
was getting in the way of me listening to your interview. Wow. So I still get stopped in Dundrum or in town from people who heard that interview that wow, day. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It was such a pivotal moment for me. Yeah, and you're just so well able to speak and articulate. And like, I mean, it's obviously just something that comes really naturally to you. And obviously since that interview, I'm sure you're 10 times more knowledgeable in the area of of just expressing yourself and how you're feeling. But like looking back on that pre-cancer life, you know, you have you say in the book, which I have in front of me, Glow, which we will move on to, which I'm so excited about. Thanks. But you say that before your cancer diagnosis, you were kind of focused on the external. It was where you lived. Yes. You know, how you were perceived, all these kind of things. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what life was like before the cancer diagnosis? Yeah, so my book... <laughs> When I was, I was thinking about writing a book for three years, but I didn't know what the book was. So I wanted to create this kind of way of life and to use my story as kind of the springboard to the content in the book, which is about the reader. So the book isn't necessarily about me. Mm. There's certain elements of my story in there, but I wanted to give people like simple ways to connect with themselves, simple ways to stop people pleasing. So before Yes, completely lived in my external world, ignored my inner world, didn't even, I wasn't even self-aware. Like I didn't notice it, which is just so crazy. So all I cared about was, you know, working really hard, getting the promotion, what people thought of me. I wanted people to think I was really funny. So just every day my whole world revolved around, you know, the outer. And then in my diagnosis, I stopped for the first time. And I started to think, like, how did I expect to survive for so long? Just revolving, like getting up every single day and just doing the same thing over and over again and Mm -hmm. expecting to grow. And actually, when I think about it, I don't even know what I was trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. I was just in the rat race. So basically, I worked in spin for 10 years and I really wanted this job in 98FM. It was this the grown-up radio station. It's where I felt like I belonged. And I interviewed for it so many times and didn't get this breakfast news anchor role. I was so disappointed. So then in my recovery, when I started to do the five steps, which are in my book, I went back to work and I got the promotion. And I couldn't understand how I didn't get it for the 10 years when I worked really hard. But here I was having been off work for 18 months and all of a sudden I got my dream job. Like it didn't make sense to me. But it was only when I went back into the office and I sat down and I realized that actually I'd made an effort to grow my inner world. Mm -hmm. And by growing my inner world, I was able to change my external world. It's so interesting to hear you say that because sometimes I just think we all get caught up in like, you've got to do more. You feel guilty if you don't do more, if you're not spending every hour of the day. And I'm sure you know this more than anyone. You get so many requests from people and it's like your time can be so in demand, it feels like at times. Do you ever feel overstretched or what would be like your advice for somebody who is working on their lunch still, you know, or is overworking? So I worked through my lunch break for 10 years and I did a few sums on that. And that is 2,400 hours that you don't give to yourself. And I know there's someone listening to this podcast today who's like, oh, my God, I've worked through my lunch break for Mm -hmm. 10 years. And when you think about all the things that you could do, and maybe it's not an hour, maybe you you can take an hour at lunch. But what if you could take 10 minutes? Mm. What if you could grow your inner world for those 
10 minutes and Mm. give back to yourself. Because when you do grow that inner world, that's when the change starts to happen. So it's like when you think you're important, other people start to think you're important. So I feel like when you grow your inner world, your external starts growing, growing, growing like never before. So I put in four steps in the book to how you can reclaim your lunch break and how you can give back to yourself. So it's like slow down to speed up because I think we think, oh God, we have to keep going. You know, we want our bosses to see that we're working really hard. We want everyone to be impressed by us. But actually when you slow down and you schedule in growth days and you schedule in time in silence, that's where you get the real messages and that's where the real growth is. And you can live in this external world for years and years and nothing will change. Mm -hmm. But when you connect to your true self, I think that's when the magic starts to happen. It's so true. And you talk about setting boundaries in your book as well. We had the author Sarah Knight on podcast. It's coming up soon, this episode. But she is incredible for setting boundaries. She has all these... Boundary queen. The ways you can say no, you know. And that's something I really struggle with. I'm totally a people pleaser. Like I just run around run myself into the ground just to keep people happy and I I have to really remind myself to stop and do the self-care bits and you know, not pour from an empty glass. It's something I have to just constantly remind myself of. Yeah, and I had no, I lived in a world with no boundaries. I didn't even know what they were. So in the book, I have this thing called quitting time. So every night at 8pm, I down tools. There's no dishwasher getting emptied. No talk about work. I'm done at 8 p.m. So I encourage people to like set a quitting time for themselves. And like that's different for everybody. But I think when you have kind of less time to get organized for the next day, you do make it happen for Mm -hmm. yourself. So Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, six to eight, I'm going to make the dinner, put the kids to bed and get my stuff done so that at eight o'clock, that's my time. Because I set that boundary, but you also have to let people know about Mm -hmm. your boundaries Mm -hmm. because you can't expect people to read your mind. So I say to Jamie, eight o'clock, I'm done. Do not bring up work because Mm -hmm. you'll put me back into work mode and then that will derail me for the week because I won't sleep well tonight. So he will never talk to me about work. People don't ring my phone at night time. So there's all of these little things and tools that we can put in place for ourselves. And I think, you know, Mel Robbins, who's one of the most inspirational, motivational speakers in the world, like she'd give you a real hard talking to. It's like you can't expect your life to grow. You can't expect to succeed and become everything you want to be if you're not standing up for yourself Mm -hmm. and you're not telling people no and you're not putting things in place to make your world better. Where do you suggest people start? Like how do you figure out, how do you make time to bring in these changes? Yeah, it's a great question. So for me, the first step was to quit people pleasing because I think as a child, I was a bit of an adult pleaser. I was the Mm -hmm. eldest and I think as the eldest, we want to be perfect So without me knowing, me being an adult pleaser led to me being a people pleaser. Yeah. So I had to stop. And like boundaries is a great place Mm. to start. What can I take and what can I not take? What's too much? Because when I look back at all of those days and I ate breakfast at my desk and lunch at my desk and worked overtime and I wrote five really short stories in the book and it's my favourite part of it and I wrote this really short story about the burnt potato Mm. so for so many years and Jamie was diagnosed with MS when we were dating and our lives revolved around his health we weren't even aware that we were living like that Mm -hmm. but if there was a burnt bit of the dinner 
say you make a beautiful lasagna and you've got people coming over and you burn the side of it. So when you're dishing it out, I think for many of us, automatically we'll say, okay, we'll eat the burnt bit because we want everyone else to have this amazing experience. We want to serve them. We want their lives to be amazing. So we suffer. But actually, everyone at the table would be happy to take a smaller portion So we didn't have to eat the Mm -hmm. burnt bit. But for years and years, I just lived in a world where I ate the burnt potato. And there's also a part of that where it's like you don't want to show them the burnt bit. You don't want them to know that that was there, that you, you messed up a little bit, like, you know. Exactly. So when I was sitting in my garden and... I had so many like self-hatred thoughts for so many years and I was sitting in my garden during chemotherapy and I had no hair and I was really in this really sad place. And I was like, I don't just want to live actually for my daughter and Jamie and my mum. I actually want to live. I want to live for me. And I think that was the first time I really connected with loving myself and valuing myself. I know you read a lot during that time. Yeah. Do you find that the books that you read helped you get to that point? make you realise or was it just everything that was going on a mix of both? I was so glad to see you were doing this podcast about books because books can change your life. Martha Beck I'll go back to Oprah's life coach calls them her paper mothers. I love that part in your book. Do you? that yes because like this year I find I've kind of fallen out of it and I'm like I need to get back there it's just that I'm not reading the right things you know. Yeah. So she has this stack and then if she wakes up one day and she feels a little bit down, she'll just open one of her paper mothers, Mm -hmm. her books, and whatever page it lands on was the message she's supposed to get that day. I'm sure as a book lover, you do that sometimes, like you flick through a book and whatever page it lands on, you're meant to read. So um, my friend Claire Solon arrived on my doorstep when I was sick with two books. Oprah's What I Know For Sure, Gabby Bernstein's The Universe Has Your Back. She pressed them into my hand. She was like, read these books. That's one of the steps in my book as well is get curious because I lived in a world before where I thought I knew everything and I didn't actually want to know anything more Mm -hmm. because I thought I had it all sorted. But when I got curious, when I started opening books, my world started to change. So I'd bring Oprah's What I Know For Sure into chemotherapy every Monday and I'd sit in my chemotherapy chair crying, reading Mm -hmm. it and it changed my life. Yeah, no, I love that book as well. And I actually, one of my questions here, and I I think I already knew the answer was if you were to recommend a book for somebody starting off, you know, and kind of like self-help or... Yes, because it gives you permission to love yourself, I feel. She's so wise as well, isn't she? And there's so many little anecdotes that you can relate to, you know, and they're just very digestible because they're quite short and you can apply it to your own life. Totally. I think she said one of the greatest investments you'll ever make in life is in your body or something and the return is priceless. So there's just so many moments. She actually helped me see that I needed to accept and acknowledge my cancer first in order to move to the next step of healing. Look how much like it's so so amazing to look at it in such a positive light the way you do because it really did change your life didn't it? Yeah and it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that it brought more to my life than it took for me and when I say brought to my life I mean it gave me such an appreciation for every moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think I spoke about that in the book, like when I came back to work and I came into town for the first time, because I'd been kind of, we live on the outskirts of Dublin and I'd been surrounded by nature and kind of trees and things (laughs) for so long. So when I came back into town, everything was so fast and I could just see the rage in people. Mm. You know, it was all around me. I find and that when I go to Limerick sometimes or Clare, I'm like, I come back up and I'm like, whoa, I didn't notice how busy this was before. Yeah. How 
how all everything stimulates you so much, you know. Yeah. So it was that like just an appreciation. I, I can't believe I used to give out about Mondays, like when I'd sit in my chemotherapy chair every Monday. Mm. It's like, God, I can't believe getting up and going to work and feeling well in my past life was a pain in the ass mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. It was actually like every day is a gift. It sounds like your mindset is just completely different to what it was before. I think I'm more forgiving of myself. I'm much easier on myself and that's taken a long time. And I've seen that, you know, you can create a new world with old stories. And Mm. there's so much that I had to let go of. Telling myself I was a certain type of person, putting myself in this box, like obeying my ego for so long. And actually when I was in my recovery and I was like, God, I have a right to change my mind about who I am. I'm going to jump in the sea. I'm, I'm going to do the park run. I'm going to see what I'm made of because that's all I wanted was a second chance at life. I so with the book, I just want to reach people before it gets to the rock bottom moment because mm. you can change. You don't need a cancer diagnosis to change your rock bottom moment. No. Every day is the opportunity to create a new world and to know that you don't have to be the same person you were yesterday. I really love that. I think it's so powerful. And I heard you speak on, I think it was on somebody else's podcast, but you said how rock bottom moments really give you an opportunity to to grow and to change and to, it's a good thing. You know, you can find the good in it. Yeah, it's like a rebirth. Yeah, yeah. So where you are now is so different to where you were 10 years ago. Yeah. Do you ever find you slip back to your old ways ever? Yeah, I feel because I'm not, you know, sitting at the side of the mountain meditating mm. in like white flowy clothes and eating salads. Yeah. You know, like it's about balance. And it took me, I think I went maybe a little bit extreme in my recovery from cancer, but I have found a way to balance it now. Mm. And I have to work really hard on controlling frantic energy. So I infuse my day with time. Mm. And I think I said that in the book that I used to get up, snooze, 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 run out the door, I'd get to work. Oh God, I forgot my phone, my wallet, my glasses. And then I'd suffer all day. (laughs) Whereas, you know, there's simple tools in the book of like, wake up, do a 30 second check in, Mm. connect with yourself and give back to yourself in the morning before you start giving to everyone else. Like I feel like 100% of my day went into working for other people. And how can you set your life up to make it work for you? Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to talk to you because I feel like you're normally quizzing everybody else (laughs) and you have so much to say. It's so nice to have you on the other side and just to be able to question you and all these things. In your book, you pose a question at the start. And I just found it very interesting. You asked if you had a crystal ball, would you take a peek into your future? So I was wondering if you would do it and like how far ahead would you go if you do if you would? Uh, no way no would way. I do it. No. Because I think even on the bad days, there's an opportunity to learn. And do you know I used to hold things so tightly, like even with the good glow. My podcast is like my baby. I love it so much. But I've done really hard work over the last couple of years in particular to remove my self-worth from what I do. Mm. Because I think my whole life, my whole world revolved around what I did, no matter what job it was, whether it was waiting tables when I was a teenager to working in radio to creating my own business. Actually, I trust my path enough to see that if something goes so badly wrong that it's just it's just bringing me somewhere new. We've actually spoken quite a lot this season about how your identity can be so 
closely aligned with what you do and what you think is the dream job for you may not be the dream job and what you think your identity is maybe it's not that you know and it's so important to separate yourself from your work and from your career and to find your real values outside of that isn't it 100% and you know it's such a simple tool that helped me create a new mindset around that was affirmations literally just affirmations just when I feel myself spiraling into that madness I come back to affirmations and I don't know what they just set me free so for people listening just in case they don't know what affirmations are what we're talking about it's they're kind of like affirming statements that are how would you describe it like yeah that's it it's like mantras mantras or something you can rely on just outside of yourself or something that you know is true. So, and even if you don't know affirmations are true, you can still repeat them because after time, your brain gets used to you saying those words to yourself. Do you remember the first time you heard about affirmations? I don't know if I do. I remember where I was. I was really? in New York and I was at an event and I was chatting to this lady and she was telling me, oh, I do affirmations. And I, you know, I say in the mirror every morning, I am powerful. I am da da da. And I was like, what on earth? In a loony bin. I was literally like, <laughs> what is she talking about? You know? And it's so funny. It's something that I actually started to listen to the start of this year as I'm going off to sleep because I found. Oh, like, really? I can, yeah. Because I can do like quite negative self talk. Mm. And I think it's a subconscious thing, which obviously then feeds into my day and my yeah. conscious and, you know. So I'm trying to like work on that. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. I think I became familiar with them when something had gone wrong in the Gold Glow, which is obviously there's ups and downs of running your own business. And when I feel like I'm in that rock bottom moment, I always get on the floor and I remember reading affirmations because they just helped me get up, Mm -hmm. you know, and I have certain ones that I turn to. At different points. So when I'm getting into the sea, I'm always, I always say I choose not to live in fear because fear kept me out of the sea for so mm-hmm. many years. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm overwhelmed and I feel like I should do an extra few hours at work or give a little bit more, I say I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. So I've got lot, lots of them for different days, but every single morning I pick one. Does that work for the guilt or for the... You know, you step away from the work and you say that. Does that work yeah. for you? Yeah. Oh, 100%. It, it just helped. They help me surrender to the, the greater plan of my life. It's like affirmations are the exact opposite of negative self-talk. Yes. So you say in your book as well that when you didn't get that job with 98FM, that you were protecting yourself by being your own worst critic, blaming mm. yourself. You weren't good enough. You weren't whatever enough. Do you want to explain a little bit what you mean by that? Yeah, so I think I was desperately... I suppose, trying to get this other job or I was always looking on the search for more. But when something didn't go my way, so I, I did expose a, you know, couple of contributor slots and expose and interviewed for the job in 98, didn't get it. So I'd always sit at my desk and be like, you're so stupid. Like, you're so ugly. You're so cringy. And people walking past me wouldn't believe that these were the things that were like, I'm saying like on repeat. Yeah. You know, you're, you've, you don't have any money. What are you going to do? You picked the wrong career. Mm-hmm. You're a fool. What were you thinking? Like all day, every day, all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And Over uh, small things or just big things? Oh, like small interactions. Wow. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I'm such a fool. 
I'm saying wow, but I'm like, I do that. I forget my phone and I'm like, you're so stupid. I know. And and we do. And it's easy to slip back into it. I think it's just to become aware of it. And actually, when I started to really love myself and value myself, that's when things started to happen for me, because it's going back to that thing of, you know, when you think you're important, other people think you're important. Yeah. So if you're sitting there beating up on yourself all day, every day. Of course, the world is going to beat you up. Yeah, people you, pick up on your energy. They Absolutely. Yeah. Even subconsciously. Mm-hmm. So if you absolutely believe in yourself. And when I didn't get that job in 98FM, I should have seen that as a redirection. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't open, it's not your door. hundred percent. That. That's in your book too. Yeah. So like, where, where, what else could I do? I was willing to just wait until the person who was hired left in five or six years I said oh the opportunity will come up again I'll just wait do you regret the time you spent in that situation oh god it's hard to say because it taught me so much in hindsight but yeah like I just didn't think there was any other option for me Mm -hmm. I thought I just had to stay where I'd keep doing the same thing and maybe had you not done it for so long the reaction or the alternative maybe that wouldn't have been as extreme and yeah have brought you to where you are Totally. And of course, there's little things like I I wish that I wasn't so hard on myself. I wish I didn't work so hard. I wish I gave myself more time. Mm -hmm. I wish I checked in with myself. But I am where I am now and I've learned so much that I don't think I'd change my path. Yeah. So I I asked you about looking into the future. In your book, you also talk about if you could relive something. And you mentioned that you would love to relive your birth again of Pia yeah. which is an interesting one because I'm sure it's not what everyone would relive you know oh I got a c-section so my mascara was still on <laughs> oh fab <laughs> so why would you want to go back to that moment it just I've never felt such love yeah, yeah. In, in a moment just seeing her and I knew she was going to be a little girl so just did you find out or you just had a feeling we found out. You found out, yeah. I remember the day that we found out, we went around to a restaurant around the corner here and we had a bowl of olives and a bowl of pasta. And they're like two things that Pia adores. She loves olives. But it was such a special day when I found out. And then when I had her, I was, oh my God, because I, I never had a sister. My brothers are like, stop saying that, like, because they're my best friends. <laughs> and it, it's to take nothing away from them. And I don't wish they were girls. But a disclaimer you have to give every time you yeah, say that. <laughs> totally. Sam and Mick, I adore them, but I always wish for a sister. Yeah. So to have a little girl was, it was everything I needed. Will you find out what you're having this time? We were going to, but I think we've changed our mind. Oh my God. And how will you get the little baby? Like, how does that work? It's a great question because, um, you know, like in terms of surrogacy, it's so difficult for people to understand and people feel awkward asking questions. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to talk about it. So thanks for asking that Mm -hmm. question. So we will go to the hospital and I will be with our surrogate mother during her birth. Okay. Uh, Jamie will be outside and I will be with her and the baby is handed to me and we would do skin on skin because obviously I haven't had, I think you do it all the time, but 
I think it's extra important if you don't carry your own baby to mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked too much into surrogacy. So if there's anyone who's who's done surrogacy that thinks I'm saying anything wrong, forgive me. But I don't Google things, you know. Mm-hmm. I just like, just want to experience the whole journey as it is. So, yeah. And then I'll probably stay in, or I will stay in hospital with the baby mm-hmm. until the baby is discharged. And then there is an exit process. So it will take a few weeks, but I'm happy to stay for a couple of weeks in a little love bubble with Jamie, Pia and the baby. My mum and stepdad will come over as well to help us out for a couple of weeks. But I'm so looking forward to that time. It's such a new a new chapter, isn't it? Do you feel ready? I felt ready for so long, Louise. Like, I just, I felt ready. And for it to be here feels too good to be true. Has it sunk in? No. <laughs> Maybe I I said to Jamie, like, God, they're just going to hand us this baby and we'll have nothing done. The house will still be in a mess and we won't have anything. And I really need to, like, sort my life out. Oh, my God, I'm actually getting emotional at the top of it. Like, it's so cute. (laughs) Oh, I know. It's it's a miracle. And also to have that experience with another woman, even the thoughts of it is blowing my mind. And in her beautiful, like, form that we were, how do you say a beautiful form, but this, <laughs> this, this page I read about her and the reasons why she was doing it. And she just said to gift a family with a child and to, oh, that's to grow a baby for somebody else because she, she has a few kids. She was like, that's for me the greatest gift you can ever give in your life. So that's when I knew she was the one because... I don't know, I just felt instantly connected to her. That's so lovely. Oh my God, it's so exciting. (laughs) So exciting. Just going back to the book for a moment. It's kind of a mix between a self-help book and a biography. Mm. Was there a reason you didn't want to do like a straight biography or a straight self-help book? Yeah, I think... So much of my learnings are anchored on what I've learned. So I I studied to become a health coach Mm. two years ago during COVID. And so much of what they were saying and so much of what I was learning, like I already had discovered through my journey. Mm -hmm. So it was great to get that kind of backup. And I was like, God, what I am saying is, you know, right. And it could help people. So that was kind of a turning point for me and... Also, there comes a point where I'm I'm kind of done telling my story. And, you know, obviously it's ever evolving and I will always share because I think through sharing personal stories, we can help other people. And I love hearing other people's stories. But I didn't want the book to be all about me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just empower people to make simple changes that could have huge impact on their life. Yeah. So that's why it's a mix of both. It was never going to be a memoir or all about me. Yeah. You know, it's it's been a big journey for me to have the confidence enough to kind of give out the learnings and the tools. And we did this thing called the September Reset, which was like a 14-day course on our website. And I was a health coach and giving out all the things that I've learned. And I loved that. So that's where I'm leaning into at the moment. I think reading your experiences and your journey People can relate to it and they can see the similarities in their own life and apply the tips and the, you know, understand the questions that you're asking probably a little bit clearer as well. Yeah, 100%. And it's for every woman who is burning the candle at both ends, who's, you know, on a journey of just giving to everyone else around her Mm -hmm. and just telling 
themselves that they'll survive or they'll be grand because you are actually worth so much more than that. Every single person listening, you are worthy of a great life and a healthy life and a Mm -hmm. happy life. Mm And I think becoming aware of that and connecting with that is the first step to things changing Mm -hmm. because people deserve to be happy. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You write about this feeling of being kind of wrecked after having Pia and it came from a lack of connection, if I remember correctly, in your book. How important do you think connection is for people? Huge. So I started running in my recovery And then Jamie was like, let's do the park run. And I was like, oh my God, Scarlet, like I can't run proper. I'm not a runner. (laughs) He's like, let's go down. So I went down to the park run. I was like, okay, I'll get a 5K under my belt, you know, before half 10 on a Saturday morning. Happy days. I went down and I was like blown away by the human connection and like the love and community. I was like to Jamie, oh my God, this is this is life changing. Mm. And, you know, for someone who does the park run, they're like, geez, that's dramatic. (laughs) But it was like I was seeing the world in a way that I never had before. Going back to that curiosity thing. Yeah. Yeah. Don't count yourself out of knowing more. Mm -hmm. So going down there, I was like, oh my God, the high five from the old man and the lady with the box of sweets at the end. And I was just, my mind was blown from that experience. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people will know Jerry Hussey. He's a great teacher, friend. I love him so much. I adore his wife, Miriam, and they've been amazing to myself and Jamie. But I've learned so much through them. And I was doing an Instagram Live with Jerry. And he said, you know, people think being tired is too much of something, too much work, too much going on. But actually... Being tired can be from a lack of connection, that you don't have enough joy, you don't have enough laughter. When he said that, I was like, oh my God, I have never thought about that. Mm. So then when I applied it to my own story and I was like, yeah, you know, when you're always like, oh, I'm wrecked, oh, I'm wrecked, 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 wrecked. I just went around my whole life, wrecked, wrecked, wrecked. And actually it was from a lack of human connection, of community, a sense of belonging, purpose, And that's like was one of the most mind blowing moments of my last year was hearing him say that. Yeah. And then to spot that, I suppose you have to give yourself the time, the like quiet time with yourself. Yes. Do you schedule that in? No, but I'm I'm much better at knowing when it's time. So, um, you know, leaning towards joy. And Martha said, when I said, how do you live a life with more joy? And she was like, well, you you know, do you ever play the game? It's getting warmer, it's getting colder. You need to lean towards the things that make you feel warmer. So I applied that, but I can only kind of connect. So say someone says to you, hey, do you want to go out at the weekend? And you're like, "Um, yes, I think I do. But like actually sit down and say, is this going to make me feel warmer or Mm -hmm. colder? Mm -hmm. Because maybe you could need a night in and a quiet night or you could need that connection because we, we've gotten really good at saying no to things but what are we not saying yes to you know the the coffee the walk the it's difficult um, it's so difficult to get the balance it is but ask yourself what makes me feel warm it helped me make a really big decision last year it sounds ridiculous but I had two events uh, one was a family event and one was a work event and my ego was like trying to keep me safe in my business and saying go to the work event you know you have to you won't get invited again you know it's good for business and then 
I actually sat on my couch when I was trying to make the decision and I just felt so much warmer thinking about the wedding. So that's the decision I made. Is there anyone you go to for advice? Jamie is. I think I said it in the book, he's my life coach, my husband, my counsellor, my best friend. Mm -hmm. He is unbelievable. And Jamie would make the greatest life coach. People come to me in my DMs or friends Actually, a lot of my friends just go straight to Jamie now because they know how good he is. But they're like, what will I do about this? What will I do about that? And I'm like, you need to talk to Jamie. <laughs> he is amazing. And my mum, like every single time I hang up the phone to my mum, I know how lucky I am to have her on the mm. other end of the phone. And I appreciate every time we talk. And then my brother Mick and Sam as well are great for for advice. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. It sounds like you have a really nice core group of amazing people in your life. Yeah. In the book, you also speak about, sorry, I'm going to take a quote from the book. You know who your friends are when the chips are up. Do you want to explain what you mean by that a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's in one of those short stories. It's mm. called Be Unapologetically You. And this was one of the days of that September reset that I was talking about that I did the audio course because I got such an insane reaction when I said this because I think it's something that people don't talk about. And actually, I heard PJ Gallagher talking about it a couple of weeks ago. I, I sent him a message about it. So I think when the chips are down, so when you're like suffering or things are going wrong, you're always going to find people that will like sit in the shit with you and like... They love that, you know, and they thrive in that environment of like helping you, being the hero. And that's amazing because you need those people yeah. when things go wrong. But what I have seen over the last few years and noticed and through speaking to other people who've experienced the same thing is like, what about when you get your wings and things start to go really well for you? You know, that makes some people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So they'll happily be with you in the bad times, but are they still there when the times are good? Mm. And it's a really delicate, hard question to ask. I guess that's where you spot the true the true yeah. people, the true friends in your life. Yeah, and it's not to judge people who aren't there for you when times are good because, you know, we all have our own things going on and that could be uncomfortable for mm -hmm. people. But I just think it's something to become aware of and it can kind of help you set yourself free yeah. from maybe friendships that don't serve you anymore yeah. in the nicest possible way. I'm not going around making enemies, but one of the greatest things that has set me free is knowing that you have friends for a reason, friends for a season and friends for a lifetime. Yeah. And it's OK to let go of your friends for a season. Yeah. Or your friends for a reason. It's so true. And I, even though it's a hard lesson, and it's a difficult one to, again, to, I think, articulate. But it's, it's something we all go through. Mm. It's just one of the amazing nuggets of knowledge in your book. And I took so much from it. That I was you? literally jotting down notes like, oh, I have to ask her about this. I have to ask her oh, about this. Oh, thank you. And I'm so excited for you. It's going to be amazing. People are going to love it. I'm so nervous. Oh, my God. You don't need to be. You really don't. You're born to do it. And I'm just so grateful for you coming on today and giving up your time. It's such an honour to have you on. Thank you. And thank you for reading it and all those beautiful questions. I'm not done. It's one of the ones I'm going to go back to again and again. So, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm so excited for you in the next next chapter of your life. Oh, bring it on. Let's see what happens. <laughs>
Huge thanks to Georgie for joining me today and for being so honest as always and offering some really brilliant words of guidance. If you feel inspired now to reevaluate your life, you can pick up her book, Glow, Five Steps to Create the Life You Dream About. I'll be back next Wednesday for another episode of Open Book presented by Go Loud. But if you just can't wait, you can check out the bonus episode on Monday. Talk to you then.